Good morning. My name's Emily and I'm reading from Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 to 20. That's Matthew chapter 15, starting at verse 1, going to verse 20. <clears throat> then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honour your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God. He heed not honour his father. So for the sake of your tradition you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone, they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Well, before I start, I just wanted to say that it's lovely to be here. I've not been here yet, and Jared means a lot to us. He was an apprentice with us some years back, a few years ago. A funny story to tell you about, Jared. Um, we, we had a time where there were a few funny guys on our staff, Matt Dodd being another one, and uh, one staff meeting, we all gathered, and Matt said the, one of the young adults who comes from a foreign country had brought a box of corn chips, something like Doritos, but something different. And Matt said, you should all try one of these, but I warn you, that so there's a skull and crossbones on the box because they're so hot that, uh, you know, just be careful. So he gave one to each of us. And Jared was on the corner of a table over here, and I was here. And you might know Mark Vivian. He was before Jared. Matt gave, each person gave Mark one. Mark ate his, and he was fine. Jared put his in his mouth, crunched on it, and then just said, ah! <laughs> And then he, he said, it's, it's horrible, it's hot. And... He ran off to the kitchen to get milk, and as he's running, I'm going, you worse, you worse, <laughs> until I put one in my mouth. <laughs> and then I ran to the kitchen as well, <laughs> apologizing, Jared, I'm so sorry, <laughs> you're not a worse. <laughs> so we, we used to have some fun together as a team. Mark Vivian, though, child on those things, and he seemed to be fine. I don't know how I pulled that off. But um, Jared is a, a, a person that from the moment I met him, that I've had immense respect for him. He's a man committed to the gospel and to the truth of God's word, something which he's had to stand up for in, in previous situations. 
And so we, we love Jared, and we're so glad that he is ministering here among you all. Well, let's have a look at the passage that's before us and hear what God has to say to us. Uh, in my growing up years, it was quite common for restaurants to have a bowl of unwrapped peppermints so that you know, you'd go up and pay for your meal and you could put your hand in there and grab a peppermint or two. But the thing is, these peppermints had, because they were all unwrapped, had been handled by lots of other people as they dug their hands in there. Uh, bare fingers taking a, a mint or two and often children would be up there I can remember as a kid sticking my hand in there as a child you know sweaty uh, <laughs> hands and who knows where they've been and then your parent rebukes you and then you've got to drop them back <laughs> into the bowl and a study was done around that time when the, the, re, these restaurants still had this going a study was done I remember reading it in the paper as a teenager and they f this is pretty disgusting but they found traces of urine on the peppermints that were studied, that were tested. And they reckoned in the, in the paper article that it came from uh, urea and sweaty hands, but also people probably not washing their hands when they'd been to the toilets. And so restaurants then removed peppermints like that and started serving individually wrapped ones. Now, it's a yucky story, um, but... We are a people concerned about hygiene, and that's a good thing, and certainly after COVID, we're probably more concerned about hygiene. Nevertheless, the story that's before us this morning is not actually about hygiene. It's about something more serious than that. Because the religious elite think that washing hands has got to do with being holy got to do with being worthy before the Lord. So they're saying if you eat with unwashed hands, then you are allowing spiritual uncleanness to come into your body. And in that way, you're not acceptable to God. And so for them, Jesus is leading people to be unholy because he's not requiring them to wash their hands. And so they are cross with Jesus. It's no wonder they clash with him. But before I show you how serious this standoff is where they're clashing with Jesus, uh, before I show you why Jesus had to push back and show them how wrong, <clears throat> how wrong they are, let me pinpoint some key background features that have led up to this moment that's a pretty, pretty uh, hostile moment. <clears throat> uh, I want you to imagine Matthew, let me get some water, <clears throat> I want you to imagine Matthew as a tapestry. And there's different, <clears throat> different colored threads that are forming a picture. If you've been reading Matthew, in the story so far, you'll find that one of the threads is Jesus has, has been showing his amazing authority, that he's not just an ordinary man, that he, he's, he's from heaven. And you see it in the miracles he's been doing so far in the story you see it in the Sermon on the Mount, where he has been speaking like God did when the Israelites were at Mount Sinai as they were leaving Egypt and coming to the Promised Land. Jesus spoke so much like God. And a story that's just before what we're looking at this morning is where he fed the 5,000 and also walked on water. And those are not just any old miracle of Jesus doing to say, look at me, I can do amazing things. 
those miracles connect Jesus back to the Exodus. They've got Exodus things going on in them, Exodus motifs, Exodus ideas. And Moses had said there would be a prophet like him that the people needed to listen to who would be coming, someone special they needed to listen to coming down in the future. And so all of these, these things going on in the, in the story in Matthew show that Jesus has great authority. That's one of the threads in the tapestry in the story so far. But another thread that's in the story so far is the incredible hatred that the religious establishment had for Jesus. They did not like him. And their rejection of Jesus is irrational. It, doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. And again in the passage, we have before us this, this hatred, this rejection. This dark thread of the tapestry comes to the fore in what we're looking at this morning. And it, it shows us just how bad the opposition to Jesus was. It shows us how wrong the religion of the establishment was. And so as we explore this incident together, let's look for uh, two answers to two questions. I want to consider, first of all, and this will be the longer bit, what does wrong religion look like? And then, second question, why does wrong religion even happen? So, first of all, let's look at wrong religion. What, what does it look like? Well, if you've got the passage open before you, in chapter 15 and verse 1, we are told that the religious leaders came to Jesus from Jerusalem. Now, that's a small detail in the story. And you might think, well, you know, so it doesn't matter whether they, whether they came from Jerusalem or from Capernaum or wherever. Actually, it's a small detail that says a lot. I wonder if you know how far Jerusalem is from Galilee, where Jesus is. Well, it's 120 kilometers. That's the distance. And it's not just down the road. It's not an hour and a half's car journey that would... It would take today on modern roads if you want to go from Jerusalem today to that area. This is a journey that takes three days on foot. And you would need to plan. You would need supplies. And all of this tells us that this delegation of religious leaders is very serious about making this journey. Because what's going on in Galilee requires an official trip from religious headquarters in Jerusalem because what's going on there in their mind is very wrong and very serious. You know, if, say you, you, you were part of a company, you were in leadership of some company in Perth, but the headquarters is in Sydney. If, if the board were to come to question what you are doing here in Perth, you would know that some very important people are unhappy with you, and it would be worrying. Well, what are these religious VIPs seriously unhappy about? Well, it's not hygiene. What is it that they say? Have a look at verse 2. They say, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? It's a matter of theology. That's what they're unhappy about. They're effectively saying, you are going against the ways of our church. Your, your, your lack of hand washing is a serious infringement, and we have come from Jerusalem to tell you off. Remember, if you think back to what I've just sketched about the tapestry, what's been going on, they have actually been looking for ways to discredit Jesus. 
And now they think they've got some evidence that Jesus is not of God. But what is the problem with all of this? The problem is that they are assessing Jesus on human rules. It's the tradition of the elders. That's what Jesus has broken, human traditions. I remember as a young adult, I asked one of the girls in our church how they had all, her, she and her family had all ended up there. She was a fellow young adult. And she explained to me that they had come from a legalistic sect. And that in that sect, there was a, a, a no-no around alcohol. If you touched alcohol, then you've dishonored God. And one day, her father was in the city, and he was looking for somebody that he was quite worried about. And he walked into a pub to try and find that person. And someone from the sect happened to see him walk into that pub. And then he was in trouble and he was hauled up before leadership because this was a shocking act as far as the leadership and as far as the sect was concerned. Shocking according to their human rules. You know, God has never outlawed alcohol. They had made a rule out of something that, that God had never said. And so that's how they, why they left the church and, and eventually came to the one that I was part of back in those days. And that's what's going on here with Jesus. They are assessing Jesus on standards that have not come from God. Now, you may think, well, you know, this, this thing of washing hands is not such a big deal. But it actually is a big deal when by saying what they say, you... you you are, you are declaring a person to be unholy, not worthy of God. You're saying that, th these people are saying, God won't accept them. Which is actually to tell a lie. That's not true. That's not what God would, would do. And, and furthermore, in pushing this tradition, it's to, it's to put God, or at least to try to, put God under Human authority, you see, because they're saying it works this way, it works our way, not God's way. And so to try and put God under human authority, it's blasphemous because it seeks to diminish God. God gets to decree what is truth, not us. But this religious system with human laws, I want to suggest to you, is even more blasphemous than what I've just described because it it goes further. It actually causes people to blatantly disobey things that God has actually required people to do. And so this is how Jesus answers them. This is how he replied. Look at verse 3. He answered them. And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? And that's a smackdown answer. It's a masterful response. Remember what they had put to him? They had said, in verse 2, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? And Jesus' smackdown response is, And why do you break the commandment of God? You see, it's quite another thing to show contempt for God, and that's what they are doing. But how have they done that exactly? Well, they are teaching wrongly about 
what makes people unholy. You're not unclean by what goes into your mouth. This is not true. And we'll see in a moment how this teaching is so wrong. But it's at this point that Jesus takes up another example, a breathtaking one, about how their human tradition overrules God. Have a look at verses 3 to 6. Uh, this is, I'm, I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to talk from this area now. Imagine you were a Jew in those days. Imagine now you've got some extra money. The tradition of the elders, not God, the tradition of the elders said that you could formally declare that money as special. And in Mark's gospel, there's a fancy word that is used there for what you could call that money. And the word is korban. So when, when they declared money to be korban, what they were saying is that that portion of their money was to be used at some time in the future to be used for the temple. So for some religious purpose, it, it, it was to therefore be untouched by any other need. Couldn't be used for anything else. You could keep it in your possession, in your bank or whatever they did in those days. But when the time came to spend it, it was to be used for the temple. Nowhere else. Now, if you had elderly parents and they had financial need, you know, in the ancient world, parents would look to their children to help them. They didn't have social security and welfare systems like we do today. So if you, if you had parents in need, you would effectively be saying, well, I can't help you because the, the extra money is Corban. Effectively, you'd be saying, sorry, dad, and, and, and sorry, mum, this extra money that I have, I would love to be able to help you, but that money is only for temple use. You know, look, I, I'm, I'm just obeying the rules. I'm, I'm being godly. I'm, I'm sorry. What else am I supposed to do? It's Corban. And so that tradition is a serious sin. Why? Why is that tradition a particularly serious sin? Because it makes you break the fifth commandment. The one that says that you are to honor your father and your mother. And so have a look at verses 4 to 6 now. Jesus says, For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Do you see what wrong religion looks like? The thing about wrong religion is that it contradicts what God actually says. How does Jesus summarize this shocking state of the Pharisees and the scribes? Well, he quotes from Scripture, and it's a Scripture that they would know so, so well. It comes from a prophet, a Scripture that calls certain religious people hypocrites. Verse 8, feel the hypocrisy in this prophecy. Verse 8 says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. See, these people, they say all the right things. Their lips speak as if they love God, but it's fake. They don't love God. Their heart is far from God. How is their heart far from him? Well, verse 9 explains. 
In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Wow. There is a prophecy that fits these religious leaders from headquarters like a hand coming into a glove. Jesus is saying, that prophecy that you know so well from Isaiah, remember that one? Well, it is about you. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, he's saying to them. Imagine how that went down. Imagine the shock, the offense. I mean, these are people who thought of themselves as models of godliness. You know, they're not like the rebellious people of the world, people who revel in wild living in wine, women, and song. No, this, this is religious rebellion, and it is wicked. It is deeply wicked to contradict God's truth. Now, there are churches out there that place human authority at, at the level of the scriptures. We often call them Bible plus churches. And so they, they will go to the Bible, but they will then also add their traditions. And they'll say with that combination, there you hear God's voice. That's God's truth. But so often, the plus bit that comes from tradition contradicts the Bible. Tradition is not wrong if it doesn't contradict the Bible. The Bible is the ultimate authority, the primary standard. But so often, this plus bit subtracts from the Bible. Let me give you an example. Listen to these words from a church. Sacred tradition and sacred scripture form one sacred deposit of the word of God, which is committed to the, to the church. Now that's a, a, and you can see it on the screen, that, that is a Bible plus example. It's saying we need tradition and scripture. It is saying that God has spoken through the Bible and through the church tradition of that church running over history. Do you know where those words come from, I wonder? They come from Vatican II. Yeah? <laughs> Vatican II. And, and, and maybe, you, maybe you ask, what is Vatican II? Maybe you don't know. Well, it's a special council of the Roman Catholic Church that was held between 1962 and 19. 65, you can see a picture of it there on the screen. And they held that council because they wanted to better connect with a world that's become more secularized. And that council, at that council, the Roman Catholic Church made various big statements about their doctrine. And the words on the screen are directly from that council. We know that much in Roman Catholic tradition contradicts plain teaching of the Bible. Is this much different from what Jesus confronted in our passage? No. Whether 2,000 years ago or in recent times, people do the same thing. They elevate tradition, human thinking, and they contradict God's word in doing that. 
Now look, it's very easy to point fingers at other people. We need to think about ourselves. It is indeed right to point out error. And the Bible does command us to do that. But we must be very careful of being smug and think that we are better because we don't do that. We can fall into this way without realizing it. We can make traditions have more weight and end up contradicting Scripture. We can make our traditions matters of godliness when they are not. How might we show contempt for God in our traditions? Well, we may say things like, you are, you're not so godly because of the way you dress for church. You should dress better for church. And then what you end up doing is you make a cultural norm a requirement for godliness, a matter of godliness. Someone once told me a few years ago that we should only be singing traditional hymns in church. And by that they meant hymns from the 1700s and the 1800s. Well, the Bible does plainly tell us to sing hymns, but why must we only sing hymns that are from 150 or 300 years ago? Why only that? See, we must not make statements that go beyond what the Bible teaches. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that the, the, the right hymns to sing are the ones by, by Wesley and the writers, you know, Fanny Crosby and writers of times gone by. We've just got to sing truth. And if someone writes a good hymn uh, last week, then let's sing it. So we've got to be very, very careful of pushing against what the Bible actually teaches. When I was a young, young pastor and involved in youth ministry, I wanted to encourage the youth leaders of my team to be very serious about reading their Bible and, and to pray. I wanted them to be sure to do that regularly. And so I suggested that every week when we, when we got together for our youth leaders meeting, that we share how our week before had gone, our week of Bible reading and prayer, personal Bible reading and prayer, or quiet time, if you want to call it that. And so we'd, we'd start the meeting and go around the room and say, you know, Taryn, how did you go? Oh, no, I had um, I, 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 seven days the whole week. I read my Bible and prayed. Yeah, come to the next one. And, uh, you know, John, what about you? Oh, didn't really do too well, like one, just one, one time this week. Now, can you imagine, you do this every week, and some people are just more organized, more diligent, life is easier and all that, and they, they're cracking it seven times, and, and other people are starting to feel ashamed and, and guilty and unworthy. And I soon realized, what are we doing? We're creating a tradition here and a legalism here. And so we, we cut it. We, we, we spoke to it and cut it and didn't do that anymore. Of course, you want to encourage people to read the Bible, but you, you see how it can become a, a tradition, a thing, that a legalistic work. Only those who read and pray every day are truly clean before God. So we cut it. Well, I, I hope you can see that wrong religion is when human tradition comes in and starts to displace what is true in Scripture. So that's the answer to the first question. It's when uh, wrong religion is when human tradition comes to displace God's truth. Now, short a bit, let's think about why it happens. Why does wrong religion happen? And the short answer is because of the human heart. Because deep inside us, in our inner being, we're unclean. In our natural state, we are dirty. We are spiritually unclean as natural human beings. And so we do unclean things. That's what the rest of the passage is saying. 
In verse 11, Jesus says, It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Now, what Jesus says there is a very serious statement because it causes a lot of trouble. Look at verse 12. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Think about this for a moment. The Pharisees are offended. The big shots are offended. And when you offend the powerful in society, you do start trouble for yourself. The disciples are coming, Jesus, Jesus, they're offended. But the question is, what offends them? They don't like Jesus' teaching that uncleanness is manifested by what comes out of mouths. What exactly does come out of mouths? Well, words. What words have we just been hearing about that's causing all the trouble? It's the tradition of the elders, these traditions. And they are offended because Jesus is saying that they are unclean by what they're saying. You see how strong Jesus is being? He's not just saying these people are in a bit of error. No, he is saying that they are speaking defiled stuff, unclean stuff. And so he's actually saying that they are unclean. Just, whoa, just think about that. Let that sink in. We really must not be weak and pitter-patter around false teaching and false religion. We must see how vile it is and how unclean it is. To those who are caught up in it, we must speak truth to them. That's why Jesus must be strong like this. This is deathly stuff. And so we must speak truth to people caught up in it. We must seek to lovingly lead them out of it. You have to speak truth to do that, even if it offends. And then what about the ardent proponents of it? Those who are the teachers of it, the ones who champion it. What about them? You know, the ones who, who reject being shown that they are wrong. The ones who get offended and hostile. What, what do we do about them? What does Jesus tell his disciples to do? Look at verses 13 and 14. He answers his disciples. He says, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. In other words, Jesus is saying they will be judged. And so, verse 14, Jesus says, let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. They are blind. They will lead you into terrible error, is what Jesus is saying. They say that you can be made clean before God by your religious works, including the washing of hands. But in the rest of the passage, Jesus shows that what makes a human unclean is a heart that is corrupted by evil. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. And, and what else among humans exposes the true nature of the heart, of the inner being? Well, it's pretty ugly stuff. Look at verse 19. Jesus says, For out of the heart 
come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. I don't think it's an exhaustive list. I think Jesus is showing us that every single one of us has something of this coming out of us in our natural human state. So, the false teaching heard from the mouth comes from the same heart out of which all these other ghastly things come. The religious elite think that they are clean by washing hands, but now they are shown to be quite unclean. So do you see why we have wrong religion in the world? It is because of unclean hearts. Hearts that are naturally turned away from God. And so in our natural state as humans, we are all defiled. The big question for this morning's message is who is defiled? Well, naturally we are all defiled. We're all unclean. That's the natural human. How then will we be clean? And the answer to that is what the whole book of Matthew is about. This is why Matthew is written. He's preaching. He's preaching a gospel, meaning wonderful, big news. The Jesus who has been healing people physically in the story of Matthew so far, healing them of physical ills, has come ultimately to heal people at the level of the heart. He is the one who takes upon himself the sin, the uncleanness of everyone who will come to him in faith. And Matthew is pointing us to Jesus. He's saying in this passage, effectively, this is why you need Jesus. Because in your natural state, you are unclean. You need to have that uncleanness go onto him as you come to him in faith. And you need to have his cleanness, his righteousness come onto you. And that's the great exchange the gospel talks about. You cannot make yourself clean through anything that you do. You need him. But the religious elite reject him. They reject the only hope of being washed. They reject the only hope of being cleaned inside. I don't know about you. I know some of you, but I don't know many of you. I want to ask you the question, have you come? Have you come to him to be clean? Are you clean? Because if you're standing in Christ, then you're no longer defiled. You're not the natural human anymore. You are a new human because you're in Christ, because you're clean. So if that is you, you can rejoice and you can sing and, and praise God and and feel free in this world. But if that's not you, then you're not right before God. And I want to speak truth against all the false teachers because I want people to be clean. I don't want them to be told lies. I want people to come to Jesus. If you haven't come to him, do come to him. If you don't know how to do that, speak to me afterwards or, or speak to um, Wade uh, Paul, people that's, that have been up front, or others that you might know. It's the most wonderful thing to be clean.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel. And thank you that it is indeed possible in Christ for us to be righteous, to be clean, to be holy. And to know with confidence that when the day comes that we face you, that we will not be under your judgment because Jesus has taken our judgment. And Lord, we pray that you would, in your sovereign power, lead people away from false teaching. And that in your sovereign power, you would even have mercy on false teachers and lead them to the truth, that they would repent of that. But if false teachers are not to do that, we pray that you would close them down, that their influence would would wane, that they would have no power. We pray that the people of this city would know the only way to be clean, and that's in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.